the feast of Christ the King, but the problem is that we Americans were not too big on kings. We had it with uh, King George III and our founding mothers and fathers said enough of that. We know that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. We will then have a system of checks and balances, no kings. Thank you very much. Uh, in fact, the seminary was a standing joke because our, our cook, old Quinn Tiratilli, would, would make a, a meal for the seminarians. And he'd say, gentlemen, look, a, a, a meal fit for a king. And all the seminarians would say, yeah, you're right. Here, king, come on, boy, we got it for you. Come on, good boy, good boy, come on. <laughs> we don't, we're not big on royalty. And yet, what are we celebrating today? We're celebrating the feast of Christ the King. And if you're a kingdom, then you have, if you're a king, you have to have a kingdom. I can remember the old abbot at St. Minard used to take people up the top of St. Bede Hall, and he said, look around you, look around you. As far as the eye can see, he was from Tennessee, as far as the eye can see, I own. Well, Jesus, we're told, is not just the king of southern Indiana, He's the king of the universe. And we are now discovering that this universe has galaxy upon galaxy that we can't even imagine, that we've never even seen before. Now, if this is the king of the universe, what does that mean? What kind of a throne does he sit on? What kind of power does he have? Well, Luke shows us what kind of a throne he's sitting on. His throne is a cross. His crown is a crown of thorns. Uh, his scepter is, is a reed. There is a lance that's going to go inside of his side, and he's going to bleed out blood and water, and he's going to die. And why? You know, of all the ways to transform and redeem the world, this seems like the most absurd of all, especially under the old dispensation, especially under the way the world is supposed to work. The king is powerful and dominant able to control all in his sight. And this king is a dying, naked man. And yet, what do we read above his cross? I-N-R-I, Jesu Nazaroni Rex Judei. Jesus the Christ, Nazarene, the king, the king of the Jews. Why are they killing him? Why, why does both the church and the state the powers that be are destroying this man because he proclaimed a kingdom that was the polar opposite of the kingdom that we expect. The, the one that has begun with the beginning of almost all civilizations, and that is the kingdom of control and domination. His proclaiming is the proclaiming of a kingdom of liberation. So, so when all is said and done, while we Americans may issue the idea of a kingship, this kind of king is radically different. And while we might not want a physical king, we do need the archetype of king, the king energy. What's the job of the archetypal king? And David is an archetypical king. It's, it's to bring together disparate groups into one kind of a whole. Today, in the first reading, we find David joining together northern and southern Israel under, under one kingdom, and he is a good king. As a matter of fact, he didn't begin as a king, he began as a shepherd. What's the job of a shepherd? To keep the sheep together. 
to, to, to keep them in one fold, uh, to keep them from straying off and, and, or, or destroying each other. And so the, the king names the realm, and of course the realm of the King Jesus is nothing less than the whole universe. And so the king is proclaiming the kingdom, and a good king will, will thrive. A tyrant king will destroy. The king has that kind of a power. You know, there's an old saying that the fish rots from the head down. And if the head is healthy, well, then the kingdom is healthy. If the head is not healthy, then the kingdom is not healthy. I remember when I was pastor of, of St. Isidore, which is a parish of 6,000 families. At that time, we had 22,000 individuals. I had no idea how to run a parish that big. To this day, I still don't know how to run a parish that big. That's why I'm retired. <laughs> no dummy me. But I, I knew when I was, literally, I mean, when I was spiritually healthy, when I was physically healthy, my parish ran pretty good. When I took sick, when I almost was on the verge of saying goodbye to the world and all that I knew, and, and, and myself, my whole life was at sixes and sevens, my parish was there too. The, the, the most important thing that, that Bishop Blanchett said to me when he ordained me and made me a spiritual director is don't ever expect your people to be anywhere ahead of where you are. You, you'd better take care of who you are, and you better follow in the footsteps of the one who can show you where to go. You'd better have a mentor and a spiritual director yourself. Well, we've got one. We've got one. His name is Jesus. And he is the king. And he is the king of hearts. And he really is truly trying to lead us into what? Into the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. It's all I ever preached was the kingdom. Now, now, now if we ever needed that king or that good shepherd or that shepherd king... We need one today. Why? We're in this incredible extended liminal space. I think our entire lifetime is liminal space. And that's the space when you're neither secure on first base or you haven't, or on third base and you haven't reached home yet. You're somewhere in between. You're in the middle of transition. You have to let go of what has been in order to come to what is new. Something new is coming. Jesus calls it the kingdom. Now, I used to believe that, when, and I really believe that we are in that transitional period right now, and I really think for the majority of us who are here, it's, it's a lifetime transition. We're not going to see the next step, but our job is to prepare for it, to get ready for it, to even proclaim it, and to usher it in, and, and, to, and to let that kingdom come about. Thy kingdom come is what we pray. Now, now, I used to think that, that there was a major shift about every 500 years. And then recently, I, I, I read a, a little piece from the, uh, yeah, she's an evangelical pastor theologian, Brian McLaren, who believes that, that this change isn't just an every 500-year change, that this, he called it a, a meta-movement, that we are on the brink, we're on the precipice of a radical change. That where the where the old hegemony, where where the old mindset, where the old idea of of what has been, has to be let go of, in order to usher in what's going to come, and that was the promise of Christ. 
Now, the promise of Christ is that the king was going to come. And it's, it's among us, it's around us, it's, it's already here, but it's not yet. And we, we, we know all that good theology, but, but there's, there's one little piece that's missing. And I really think that that, there's really, that little piece is absolutely, utterly key. So I want to take a couple of moments just to, 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 to uh, compare and contrast. My theology professors were forever comparing and contrasting. Compare and contrast between the old mindset and the new mindset. The old mindset said that uh, conflict and war is inevitable. Is inevitable. Matter of fact, I just heard a politician say the other day that, oh, about every eight years we need a war. Just kind of sharpen our wits and keep us on our, and, and it helps the economy. It does all kinds of really, really good things. I think that we've taken in that mindset with our mother's milk. And, and somehow we are not going to get into a new mindset until we are able to let go of the old mindset, until we could say goodbye to what has been. And maybe even let us bless it. Maybe for a while that, that worked, but it's, it's not working anymore. I mean, the realization that we really need to come to is that it's obsolete. It, it just doesn't work. And, of course, we've, we've got the tools to do that. We've, we've got the teachings to do that. As a matter of fact, they, I mean, they go back to the Hebrew Scriptures. We've got Isaiah. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to hear Isaiah say this. The days are coming, says the Lord, when you're going to turn your swords into plowshares and you will never need to study for war again. We've got major war universities. We do not have one major peace university. We still don't know how to do peace but, and never will learn as long as we're caught in the old. As long as we actually believe that big lie, that it is inevitable. Uh, another of, of the old is that, is that there are going to be winners and losers. And there will be an oppression of the poor. It is a zero-sum game. The old belief, and it really is, is the belief of scarcity. We live in a world of scarcity. There's not enough for me and there's not enough for thee. And Buckminster Fuller says he believes that the purpose of all war is because we believe that big lie. Of course there's enough. There's enough for the needs of the world. There's not enough for the greed of the world. Until we are able to let go of that belief, we're not going to be able to enter into freedom from captives, feeding of the poor, a release of, of prisoners, good news preached to all of creation. It, it has to be let go of. We believe, because our institutions have shown us to believe in that, that only the strong survive. That there must be a hardness of heart. That we must take care, first of all, of ourselves and our own and our own tribe. And that means us first, everybody else after that. And that makes us hard people. Ezekiel. We're going to hear them all throughout Lent saying the same thing over and over again. I need to turn your hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I'm not telling you anything new at all today. This is everything I am telling you. We know. We just have not yet fully come to the realization that we can exercise 
what we know. And we cannot exercise the new, the advent, that which is coming, until we are really willing to take a really hard look at the old and let go of it. Um, the old humanity believes that there is going to be a concentration of wealth and power. It will be in only a very few hands. We're seeing that played out in spades in our day. The prophet Amos says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. There will be a river of justice that will flow, and it will fill in the lowest places first. Now, is that a pipe dream? Or is that a reality that we can believe in and work for? Even the old prophet Micah said it this way. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before the Lord. Now, now. How do we get there? How do we get there? Follow the leader. Follow the king. We have the healthiest king in the universe. We have Christ the king who found that all power was not in gathering and dominating. All power was in scattering and letting go. All power was in powerlessness. There's a saying that that uh, God the Father, the power, the, the, the God the Father is the, the powerlessness of power. We call him Almighty God, and yet is absolutely powerless in front of the human will. And we ask, of the, and we talk of the Christ, that he is the power of powerlessness. In his kenosis, in his emptying of himself, in his pouring out of himself, in giving the only thing he has to give in the face of domination and hate, intolerance and greed. Greed is huge. In the face of all of that, what does he return? The only thing he's got in his purse, forgiveness and love. Now here's the secret. His power is our power. St. Paul tells the Colossians today, he is the firstborn, the risen from the dead. And what he has, we have. What is in his divine DNA, we share in the divine DNA. He may have the fullness, but we've got it. We've got it. It's who we are called to be. It really is who we are. We are having difficulty exercising us because we are caught in that rut of old thought that rut of the old way, the belief of the lie that might makes right. We are called to so much more. We are called not only to proclaim the kingdom, but to usher in the kingdom and to live as if the kingdom were here right now. And that means how we do treat each other, how we do forgive each other, how we do take care of the needs of each other, especially those who are in most need. Of each other. The power is here and the power is ours. We still believe, and this is probably the hardest thing for us to let go of, that God is out there and we are here. God is not out there. God is here. God is in every suffering person. God is in every 
person who has ever walked the face of the earth. God is in every tree and flower and leaf. God is in everything. And God is calling us back to the garden, back to the kingdom. We will pray thy kingdom come again today. We will begin brand new again next Sunday. But the reality is the agents of the coming of the kingdom is the Christ. And we are the Christ.